You've reached the Onkin Radio Podcast. Nick Onkin here, exploring the world from creativity, consciousness, and everything in between to help you alchemize your life to its fullest expression. What is up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Onkin Radio Podcast. Today, I'm excited to bring to you my friend, Grace Harry. She is a boss, a sage, so many things, a keeper of wisdom. Most importantly, she is a joy strategist. And what does that even mean? What does that even mean? Well, it is becoming, she teaches people how to become their own chief joy strategist of their own lives. And it is something that's highly important and I highly agree with. We all need to take ownership and responsibility of our own happiness. Grace was the executive vice president of marketing and creative services at Def Jam Records a while back. And we had met through our friend, my friend Scooter and Usher, actually, and ended up, we all ended up on a little vacation together a few years back. And I just really love grace and all that she represents and it's been a pleasure to witness her go through her own deep work over the last couple few years the healing and and the learnings of herself and the growth and the books that she reads and everything she has done a tremendous job of of moving herself to find her own joy and help share that with others. So with that, I bring you Grace Harry. All right. I am excited to have Grace Harry on the show. Welcome to the show. Thank you. You are a joy strategist. Among many things. Among many things. Many, many things. And I want to get into that. But I want to hear a little bit about your your background. You grew up in New York. And yeah. how did you get... You got in the music industry. And I'd love to hear kind of that story and and life growing up here and then into the, into the music world. Okay. I love that. It's funny because when you asked me about my story and background, mm-hmm. I just went through this like, I don't know, Wizard of Oz type memory lane visual of many things. So it's always so interesting to figure out, okay, how do we condense it? <laughs> I guess some key points. Okay, I, mean, because I think like, I can you know, do it. I like our, our story kind of frames who we are, and then we have to go back and unlearn everything that we learned from oh, our story. And that's right? the phase I'm in now. That's <laughs> yeah. why it's so funny. Like, unlearn yeah. everything. Unlearn yeah. grown up, I think, is the most important thing. Yeah. So I was raised in Brooklyn. I was raised by my mother, who was 17 when she had me. And in 1969, when she got pregnant, it was still, I don't think it was illegal, but it was still not cool to be mm-hmm. interracial. So she's pregnant. She's a high school kid. And so she was then living with my father's family in the PJs and White Plains. And the, and my grandmother told her, you can stay here mm-hmm. until the baby comes. So she found this. She had to go. And then her parents disowned her. Mm. Bringing a black baby in, in 1970 was not the coolest thing. And so she found this home, I guess, for girls in Staten Island, which I hate to admit. And so it took her, not to get into that long story, but she had to sign me away to be able to live there, mm. which I don't know if she really understood. And so at two months old now, I'm in foster care. She's on this journey to figure out. And I think that was her beginning of like, oh, right, white privilege, because she was in the program with so many, you know, black and Latin, Latinx, I don't want to just say anymore, non-white people <laughs> who didn't get their babies back. 
Wow. And I think that really informed her life's work, which really led to my passion too, which, which is joy strategy is this word I use to overarch. And it's really more not that that word means anything, more than that word doesn't mean anything against anyone's particular religion. Mm. And it was really important for me to try to get people to understand how we have to get back to a connection to self and source without any intermediary. Mm. And I really worked hard to get around, especially the Abrahamic religions, right? Because there's so much around being what it means to be a good person in that. So that, anyway, I digress. So I grew up in Brooklyn with my mom and we were, it felt like two teenagers because she was winging it, you know, because think about that. The first time anyone does the most important thing in the world, which is raise a future adult, (laughs) only amateurs can apply. And what I've realized with Joy's strategy is that that's not a joke of the universe or God or whatever your version or your wording is. That's because there's a rebirth in Mm. birthing. Mm. So if you're birthing anything, a child, a baby, a new you, a new career, change of of country, change of scenery, there requires an adjustment of of who you are and a lesson Mm. to learn how to be that thing. Mm. And what we tend to do, especially in this country as adults, is we start adulting and we think that the ascendance of seriousness in adulthood is the truth of adulthood. But it's actually the reminder of the rebirth to get back into play, to get mm. back into our, our youth, to get back into our true connection to source before the shoulds, the can'ts, the don'ts, the won'ts came in. Mm-hmm. And we felt like we had to become this representative person who didn't get in trouble versus yeah. our authentic self. So I was a wild kid, you know, <laughs> just from my way I was raised. I was really the more organized of the two. So I kind of took care of most of the cleaning and details of our house. So I grew up very fast. And I just, my mother, hippie. And, you know, our sex talk was like, sex is something you do with people you like a lot. So <laughs> I did that a lot. People like a lot from really young. Girl, friends in elementary school to like things. And to me, all of these things around joy and pleasure are so penalized and stymied in this country for the business of capitalism yeah. and how religion plays into that. And what you have at the end of the day, especially as we're approaching this giant 2022 life mental health crisis, is people just not understanding how to actually be themselves in their own skin, mm. in their own body. And I felt really free about that for a long time. And then I remember at 10, all of a sudden getting very shamed. Mm. You know, a lot of shame started coming in from all different situations and, and, and mostly from my lack of believing I had the real story. I didn't have the traditional parents. I didn't have a, a, a fancy house. I, we we're really struggling and making it. But music was always my salvation. You know, as a kid on a day that I I'm not even to get into a penalized mother she was the best she can. We didn't have much. Mm-hmm. And but music was our shared passion and our love. And my mom was so young. I remember she brought one mm-hmm. time this album come home, this double album. I'll never forget. It was like gray, silver. I think it was the it was either stylistics. I think it was the stylistics. Mm-hmm. And what was interesting about it is that you opened it up and there was the members of the group with perforation around them and you poked it through and got a hanger and made a mobile. And I remember that day I'll never forget because it, it brought a, I I don't, I didn't have the words for it then, but I remember feeling like I I could know myself through that experience. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I knew what that meant then at all, or maybe I did since it was closer to the veil, but that became my life's passion. People who create art on any level and people who are using that medium expression to connect to the people's hearts Mm. has been my thing. Yeah. So then at 16, my mother moved to Haiti and I had to get an apartment. 
and I got an apartment for $210 in Soho. It was actually my grandmother was diagnosed with tuberculosis. Oh and God. she had a husband, but she had a, a quote finger separate apartment that no one knew about <laughs> until she was diagnosed that then became my apartment. It was like a tenement, had like cracks on the wall. Wow. A shower in the kitchen, a water. And you were 16. I was 17 then. 17. Uh-huh. Wow. And um, at the time, my music passion was so strong, but we, I was raised with no TV. I mean, we had TV. We moved like every year. Sometimes we had an apartment with a TV, but often we didn't. So I was kind of a weirdo in school. And my mother was a health freak when before that was cool. And so I would go to school with tofu sandwiches and my Fat Albert lunchbox. I was just a weirdo. <laughs> and I always felt like a freak and was always working very hard to be wanted. And it wasn't until I was, I was out of high school, 10th grade high school, high school dropout. And I decided to work full time at the Cosby Show. And I met a whole bunch of kids hanging out at the clubs downtown. And they all, one had a record out. Juggle Brothers. Another one was about to put a record out, Tribe Called Quest, they, uh, Pasta News. And another one was shopping a deal, Q-Tip from Tribe Called Quest. And at the time I was hanging out in clubs downtown and they were all like secret. You know, the, the Mudroom and, and Payday and Grand and all these clubs you had to know about mm-hmm. to get, I mean, not Mudroom, but like Grand and Payday and Hotel Amazon were clubs that you had to know the promoters or someone and they moved all the time. So you had to be like, and, and it wasn't by genre of music. It was anyone who was into that scene. You could mm-hmm. be anything and be there. Different than now where it's like so genre specific. Yeah. So, you know, Russell Simmons and uh, Red Alert and all these people, I started meeting Latifah and they were all kids like me for the first time who had a passion and an interesting way of looking at the, at the world that no one else had. And I had not experienced that. Oh, when I was 12, I found the first kind of idea of that. There was this guy named John who started Children's Express. It was a newspaper agency run by kids, for kids, or for everyone. It was mm. crazy. And he started out of his, his brownstone apartment on Perry Street. And my mother was very resourceful about finding things for me to do <laughs> that didn't cost money. So I was great at it. And I'm not good at school. And I didn't really have the belief at that time I was good at anything. So this was the first time where I felt like, oh, I'm really good at this. And I went my first plane ride at 11 to Texarkana to the Kennedy Center because they were doing an event where they were honoring grassroots leaders from around the world. And I got to interview a woman from India who was a widow. And at that time, you couldn't be educated as a woman mm. where she lived. And so as a widow, you couldn't, you, know, you didn't know how to read or write. So you couldn't get a bank account. So all these widowers who were working at the market were fucked. And so she created a color coding banking system. <laughs> and I, she blew me away. So I then was worked with them and became an editor and went to the first Democratic convention in Oakland, my second plane ride at 1984, when the first woman, Geraldine Ferrer, and the first black person, Jesse Jackson, were wow. running. And I got to interview them all. So I already had this little inkling of like, oh, wait, there's something for you in the world that's not represented in all these things you're learning in school of, of the traditional roles that you clearly don't fit into. Yeah. So now I have this apartment. And coincidentally, it was in between all the recording studios they were working at. Calliope, Green Street, all these different recording studios were right near my house. And all these people, Latifah and Leaders of New School, and they all lived outer borough. So they would come to my house and hang out in between sessions and stuff if they had things to do. And it was really like culture camp because I had just got a television and a VCR. I'd worked and saved for it. I was working, I was working at a restaurant. And at the time, I was also working at Dean DeLuca part-time. Mm-hmm. Oh, I had wow. like five jobs. And um, I would get videos from this really weird, obscure video store in, I think it was like on Crosby Street or something. 
and everything from like Russ Myers to every David Lynch to, you know, like Black Orpheus and the harder they come. And they'd never seen any of these things because they come from very traditional kind of lower to middle class black families and suburbs, mm-hmm. which is also rare for hip hop. So the whole thing was interesting to me. But it was the first time like that Dr. Seuss book, you know, Are You My Mother? Where you, the little mm-hmm. bird walks around looking for its mother and all these things. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's how I kind of felt till I met like the native tongue community. Mm-hmm. Because I was like, oh, this is who I am, these people. And it really solidified my love of music and my love of art and connecting to visionaries who are pioneers who are never going to have anyone understand what they're building because mm-hmm. they're making something new. But I understood how to support it because I was that person in a, in a much more culture architect way. You know, you think of people who build scenes and communities or I know people don't like Malcolm McLaren and they don't like that he says he owns punk rock, which I get. But he really did still, and if, even if it's in a Puff Daddy way, he still architected a world. He still supported Vivian Westwood and the Sex Pistols and mm-hmm. kind of coined a movement and a look. And I love that, you know, like yeah. Robert De Niro with Tribeca Film Festival and Tribeca. So that was a really, that was an interesting for me, which led to being a chef at the Cosby Show. And then I worked in the, at the record industry for 27 years, wow. running creative and marketing and digital at time and working with artists in so many interesting yeah. ways. And what I found after my third divorce was that everyone's a creator in a different, in some way or yeah. another. Everyone is. And everyone is dealing with these same issues. And the music industry is set up, like most businesses, to take the goods from someone when they're doing well and to drop them like a hot potato when they're not. And that's how life is set up for most people in their mm-hmm. own belief of things. And so I just started trying to instigate that that concept in everyone's heart and feeling and life and belief that if you connect to your version of source, mm-hmm. if you go back to the truth of who you are authentically and release that representative that doesn't get in trouble and you find your passion, that's when you're on your path and life happens and magic happens. So I just kind of took all of that and made it into a little soup that I call Joy Strategy. All right, my friend, I want to tell you about today's sponsor, and it is one of my favorite brands, Organifi. Uh, as you know, I'm all about putting healthy things into my body and using different supplements and things to get the nutrients that I need uh, when I can't always have access to them through other means of vegetables and things like that. So one of my favorite uh, mixtures is something that I like to mix three of their products together. It's the pure, the red juice, and the green juices. And it's a power pack of nutrients in the morning. Um, So I've been doing this every morning. And what's been great is I've been taking it on my travels so that I can keep some daily nutrients with me, especially when it's a very travel schedule. I don't always have access to foods that I want to eat. So it's a great staple, great way to um, bring things on the road. They have little travel packs too, which is perfect. You can just drop them in, mix them with water, and they're delicious. Less than three grams of sugar, uh, which is very, very little, and it's all organic. Either way, no processed sugars. Uh, So the green juice, which is great, is just you get your daily doses, your daily dose of nutrients that you need. You just mix it with water. There's 11 superfoods like ashwagandha, morninga, chlorella, spirulina, turmeric, and much more. The red juice is a superfood berry blend that contains adaptogens, antioxidants, and a clinical dose of cordyceps mushrooms, which is highly, highly beneficial to you. There's 13 superfoods for energy support like 
beets, blueberries, acai, pomegranate, Siberian ginseng, reishi, mushrooms, rhodiola, and more. So it gives you a bunch of energy without the caffeine. Um, and then pure, uh, pure is about promoting gut health and the morning brain fog is very helpful. It promotes healthy BDNF levels and mental clarity. For those of you that don't know what that is, I didn't, I had to look this up, uh, brain derived neurotropic factor. It's the key molecule involved in plastic changes related to learning and memory. So neuroplasticity, things like that. Uh, what's great, it's infused with lion's mane and coffee berry. Got baobab from an African fruit that contains 10 times the amount of vitamin C that oranges do. It's got apple cider vinegar to improve gut health. Contains all kinds of other goodies like aloe vera, ginger root, monk fruit, digestive enzymes, and more. So you can go check this out, uh, Organifi.com. That's with an I uh, at the end, not a Y. And you can use the code ONKEN, O-N-K-E-N, for 15% off at checkout. <laughs> I love that. Uh, and how does that look when you're working with people yeah, as, as a joy strategist? Yeah, it's very <laughs> bespoke because we're all so different and everyone yeah. needs different things. And I would tell you it was much more specific before the pandemic and everyone needed to find how they learn how to play. Everyone had to reconnect to pleasure in different ways. Everyone had to go back and take those stories and rewrite them. But during the pandemic, it got more real Yeah, because intimacy was really an issue. Personal intimacy, intimacy with others. How do we connect? Mm -hmm. We came out of all of these movements about how I want to advocate for the way I can be seen and touched and, and connected to. Me too, time's up, BLM. I, I keep going. All, all the isms were really inflamed, right? pre-pandemic. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, you're now trapped in your own cubbyhole. And often with a person that you liked in this lifestyle, but now that you're alone with this person, who the fuck is this? Who right. is this person? Because you don't know yourself. Mm -hmm. So it really got very intimate. And I did a lot of intimacy work. I even started really teaching people how to pleasure themselves and each other. Yeah. It was such a disconnection. And I realized my mother was raised in the 60s where it was all about being free. Whereas people under 40 are raised with the post-AIDS, so their parents are telling them if you have sex, you die, also with a phone and internet. So they're getting this bizarre idea of what intimacy actually is, and it's nothing can be further from intimacy in porn. That's not yeah. porn. That's a performance. Yeah. So I, 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 it's bespoke. I start with literally finding out what do you do to access your own joy, and what do you do every day, all day? Because if you're hungry and you're going on a long trip, you know you need to bring snacks. Because right. you don't want to starve. But we, that's the same in life with joy. If you do your practice in the morning, you feel great. But then when you walk in the elevator of your building and someone has a very different energy, you don't have any joy snacks. You're not prepared. <laughs> Ooh, joy snacks. I like right? that. Right? So that you're all of a sudden like you're just defending your energy or protecting yourself and then you're already in a deficit. Mm. I have this incredible woman that you need to meet. Her name is Annie Coltar. She has a podcast with Ashley I think it's called The Miracle Is You. I always mm. forget the name of it. But they talk about that each of us are the chief energy officers of our life. Mm -hmm. And that it's our job to just stay within good energy in our, in our bodies. That's all we have to do. And yeah. so I thought of that as like, oh, right. If that was a game, you'd need to be the goalie, right? And you're like shoving, you're knocking out all the things that in, interrupt your joy. Yeah. And so you need to kind of create that life like that yeah. every second of every day. And we do that with a lover. We do that with a client, mm -hmm. a boss, a teacher. There's there's some place in all of us where we really follow direction. Yeah. We really just make sure we do it. But when it comes to us, we're like, eh. 
Yeah. It's like one of your, it's one of the biggest, it's like mental jujitsu to really like fight off the, the and other energies that are coming in, especially like now is saying like there's 10 other extra layers with all the COVID stuff happening of just like heaviness and stress and right. everything that you have to worry about now on top of regular life. Right. You know, it's like, and you really have to cultivate your own practices and things like that to just become the chief energy officer and to create the agency within yourself to navigate joy and high energy and emotional frequencies Totes. and things like that. <laughs> What's one of your favorite joy snacks? I love that term, by the way. It's such a great. Well, from, and it's really important that, and when people say like all oh, your practices and your tools, especially anyone who's of African slave descent or immigrant, that's complicated. Because now all of a sudden you're hitting up against what it means to be a good person, a good wife, a good husband, a good mother, a good da -da -da, a good citizen, a good um, what your church thinks, your religion, all those things. So it's different for everyone. And it doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't have to be time consuming. For me, some mornings like this week has felt very unsettling. Mm -hmm. And so my traditional morning routine didn't feel right. So I literally got in 7 a.m. I had like a full on bubble bath because I know that would soothe my own heart. Some days I'll put on three songs that make me feel like a crazy badass and dance around. <laughs> Most mornings I get up before the sun and I do chanting to the sun as it rises. So it's different. Some mornings I read a book. Sometimes I, I pull cards. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I'm just like I have a friend in other countries. It's up early and we'll have a, a really fun if, if it's going to be fun. So it's really we're racing a lot of the dogma of what we're supposed to do to feel good. And to my point, we don't need an intermediary. We don't need anyone to tell us because when we were two and three and four, I was walking the day and this man was on the phone and he was holding on to his daughter's hands. And I followed, I was walking behind them for a full block. Within that block, she walked. Sometimes she skipped. One time she dropped his hand, did a full spin and got back to, <laughs> but we lost that. But that is mental health fixing. Yeah. Because she's just having fun in that moment. Yeah. That sweetness, yeah. That, that simplicity of finding our own pleasure yeah. is really the point of it for everybody. And that when we do that, then we can access it all day. Because then you get so good at accessing your pleasure that it's even you're walking the street and someone has a horrible accident. It's a terrible scene. You unfortunately see it. It's in your head. And now you're like, wait, I can change the story. Yeah. You know, I'm sending them love, but I could also change my energetic story right now. So my joy snacks change all the time. <laughs> you know, and also people. I noticed as the pandemic started ending and opening and ending and opening, there'd be people coming to New York because all my friends have moved. Like mm -hmm. I really, I have like, you are probably one of my four friends that still live here. Yeah. I mean, it's great. Everyone should do their thing. But as people come in, the pre-pandemic I enjoy being with, now that I've really done the work to know myself, it's not easy to be around them because people are numbing out in so many ways that are not comfortable for me. Yeah. I'm not a big drinker. I really don't drink. I mean, it's rare. So yeah, being in a drinking scene, it's a very different energy. You know, drinking is like loud and you want attention. It's to help you be more social. That's just not my way. Yeah. So that's also how do you stay centered within your own connection to yourself when other people have different practices? So that chief energy officer comes in to all of that. Yeah, it's different for everyone. Yeah. Yeah, it's really bizarre. I mean, I've like hardly drink anymore either. Mm -hmm. Over the last year and a half, it's for me, it's been definitely a time to go inward and right. recreate myself. And like, I feel completely different than I did before. Right. It's really bizarre. That's fantastic. Yeah. And that's really what this time is about. If we look at cycles, even today is Yom Kippur. And I don't know if you know about how much that is, but that's the, it's kind of the end of the, the, the high holy days, right? You have Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur specifically is two days where you 
refrain from pleasures mm. so that you could feel empathetic to other people who are in that and your body can have a little bit of distress in this different ways. Some people say it's to go back to the Eden consciousness where we didn't have to do anything. So that's why there's, you're not supposed to work today. You're supposed to feel mm. back into the presence of God and all the gifts. So there's fasting and there's no eating and all this stuff. But today, days like this, it's important to reconnect yourself with what you mm. need to, you know, so we don't always need a holiday or something. It's a daily practice of how do we shed all that stuff? I mean, whatever you, sometimes it's like the word sins, but how do we shed the things that don't grow us? Yeah. Look at them, reflect them, hold them in sacred love for the lessons they did teach us, mm. and then let them leave and move on to the new. Yeah. That's really the overarching point of all this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah I, I'm curious to know, I mean, jump a little bit different subject, go back to what you were talking about in terms of like sexual pleasure. Mm -hmm. And I know you've gone through a bit of your own discovery and then you help others release mm -hmm. that. I mean, for me, like I've had to go through a lot of unlearning because I grew up in a very conservative Christian, mm -hmm. no sex before marriage. Exactly. And that was like drilled into oh, my, yeah. my subconscious all growing up. And so like, there's a lot of stuff that I'm still working through to release that. What have you experienced? Yes. I mean, I had it on so many levels because- Although my mom was free in her expression of things, she was very guarded and closed because she essentially was living anti to every parent. You know, her mother's uh, raised Roman Catholic. Her father's Russian Jewish. My father's family's Baptist. So it's a lot of like Catholic Irish family. And then there's this, you know, black Baptist family and all the rigidity of the slave Christianity. So there's there's a lot of rules there. And I went back and forth my whole life. I had a freedom around it. I felt really free when I was in elementary school with girlfriends and playing doctor and learning and expressing and felt no shame around that. Mm -hmm. But then later on, would have other situations and felt very like shamed by people that mm -hmm. I was too loose or too free. And then I decided I would divergenize all my friends because they should get over feeling so insecure around women. And then also then had another shame thing around that when I was around other girls. You know what I mean? So yeah. I've had this weird... And then even what it means to be a woman, you know, how you're supposed to. And I really, I think of myself as very polyamorous when it comes to everything. I mm -hmm. call myself a mooditarian. I eat based on how I feel. I listen to my own energy, energy PS. And so I, I went through a period and I was raised Quaker. So when you're Quaker, you go to these retreats and the kids all learn how to do like group massages and everyone massages a foot or a hand and everyone yeah. sings and everyone talks. And so that was very familiar, comfortable for me. And then in high school, that became a big problem for people. So mm -hmm. then I started like shutting myself down and trying to become this, this thing that was supposed to be a wife, mother person that was anti to all sexuality in a weird way. Yeah. And it's been an interesting struggle for me. And what was my last marriage, we, were very, we had a lot of fun and we explored a lot of sexual adventures mm. together. But because there was... And, and and I'm really trying to, I'm struggling to say this because I'm not penalizing anyone. I, I don't feel like anyone did anything wrong. I just think that we both were dealing with so many, so many other issues mm -hmm. that it was difficult to actually be free in that way. So mm -hmm. a lot of dynamics got complicated into that. And yeah. made, so in the, in now how I feel is the free. Yeah. And, but the freedom of that is very scary for people because free means anything. Yeah, And then exploring anything, all these stories go up. Am I gay? Am I this? Am I that? Am I a bad person? Am I sinning? Am I against society? Yeah. But, you know, the Bible has been rewritten over and over and over based on whoever was ruling, whatever king, whatever mm -hmm. person needed to control people. 
And I just read this amazing book, The Mary Magdalene Manuscript. Yeah, the Alchemy is a Right. Yeah, we were talking about that because right. I, I saw it on your Instagram, and I was like, "She's reading the manuscript." <laughs> it blew my mind, and I, I'm reading Falling Upwards now. I've read some incredible books this month. That's a good thing about being sick, and it was reminded me that I understood the truth. Or Kushiel's Dart is an incredible book that's all about these initiates of Yeshua, mm. who it's actually their job to use the high arts of sex magic to save the planet. Really, like stop wars and help people commune and all these different things that, yeah. which makes so much sense. Or I, when I went to Peru, there's a museum, the entire museum is dedicated to the honor of creation and, you know, all of, all of what that means. Mm-hmm. So we have so many rules, especially in this country that just keep us small and questioning. Yeah. And yeah. so I don't have a, what does that look like? It looks something different for everybody. Yeah. And if we can just like with the joy strategy, get back to how we feel that yeah. accessing that leads our sexual experiences mm-hmm. because does it feel good to rub your shoulder or does it feel bad? Do you, everyone's different. We're different countries. Do you like things soft? Do you enjoy many people? Do you like more of an intimacy that's kissing and nothing goes further? There's so much room there. Mm-hmm. And as soon as we erase all the shame and the judgment and the old stories, we're free to explore what that means for us individually. Yeah. So many old stories. So many old <laughs> so stories. So many stories to shed. Yeah, the, our caregiver community not to be jerks sometimes, gave us all the things they felt would keep us safe. Mm-hmm. But that was how many hundreds of years ago? And right. if they're getting information from their parents, we might be using advice from like the freaking 1800s. Yeah. That's not exactly. helping us. Exactly. Right. So. Well, yeah. And I was telling you about that book, uh, The Immortality Key. Yes. Which mm-hmm. talks about exactly what you were saying yeah. is how the church became this way of, they created the Bible out of a way to create a narrative to control people. That's when. Right. Yeshua and all the all everyone was like at these underground parties drinking psychedelics and practicing sex magic and they were like you know the church was basically hiding the women and the drugs is what they were talk about right and those were the ways to access the divine that's right and it's so wild to like now be an observer of that that's right or even other ways that that has come into play even even in our recent history with like Salem witchcraft and Mm. there's been so many ways that we've as a society, penalized the givers of, of healing, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. anyone who represents something that we're not going to make money on. So all of a sudden, you had these incredible midwives and doulas or whatever you called them then, women who had real experience in birthing yeah. and, 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 and women, women's health on all levels. And men didn't like that. It was taking away from their money, their medical practices. And these women had power. Yeah. So yeah. they were really penalized in that way for that same thing. Yeah. What's the Salem witchcraft? I haven't heard about that. Well, Salem in Massachusetts, they had these famous trials in the early 1900s where they decided that all these women were witches and they started burning them alive. Oh. And really what they were was midwives. Really? Mm -hmm. You should look it up. It's really fascinating. It's really a fascinating thing. But it really speaks to all the different ways we hide. It used to be before Christianity, right? And civilization, quote fingers again, that everyone was a bunch of pagans and heathens and stuff. So they put all sexuality inside that bucket. Mm -hmm. So we didn't want to be heathens, even breastfeeding. You know, when 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 flappers, when everything was it was a time and it was sexy to they promoted that only like lower classes nurse their babies. So then all of a sudden formula was chic. And so to breastfeed was like you don't want to ruin your breasts. Right. So it's like, oh, it's but which is ridiculous. Yeah. Because that's what breasts are for. Yeah. They're not for nipple tassels. They're for antibodies and 
there's so much amazing that they're for like allergies, you know, the breast milk can do so much even for the jaw alignment. There's so much that was designed right. naturally, but the way the world works and is trying to run from how our pleasure, even think of how we live in a Newtonian society. But if you research Newton, like his mother was in some crazy religious Episcopalian society hmm. and he had so many rules and laws and that's why we're so structured and rigid in this country because yeah. it's all Newtonian. So, you know, there's, there's a lot to that. Yeah, I mean, we create these narratives for power and control, and the access, the true access, is through is none of that. That's right. It's through just going in none and 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 listening to that quiet voice inside us that's ancient, that's been through us, and many many incarnations that has all the information. Yeah, when yeah. we trust it and truly follow it. Yeah. What have you found in the divine feminine for yourself? Yeah, I've just I've actually the divine feminine is not my issue. I know how to work that system. My issue yeah. was that. We are rainbows. You know that before the gay community had the rainbow as their iconography? I guess that's the right word to say. Jesse Jackson, when he ran for president the first time, his organization was called the Rainbow Coalition. Mm. So the reason that anybody marginalized gives themselves a title of a rainbow because it really speaks to the full expression of who we are. And I felt more penalized because I have so much masculine in me. Mm. I feel so much really dualistic in that way in that – I could code switch and be in all those spaces very naturally. I feel very connected to all those parts of myself. But I really worked hard to kill off one or another at times, to work and to take care of my kids as a single mom at certain times between husbands. You know, <laughs> I had a career that I really loved and had a belief around a story that I had to get very masculine and upright that way, but then use femininity as a kind of a manipulation. Mm. So it's not that I've jumped into divine feminine. I've just jumped back into grace and the full rainbow of expression of how I feel at different moments at different places to different people. Yeah. And feeling safe enough of myself to express all those colors. Mm. And what did it, has it taken to feel safe from you? Like the work, what work has it taken to feel, become that person, to feel safe in expressing yourself because that's a whole journey right it's like a I whole think, journey you know we've kind of talked through the last few years since you guys split mm -hmm. you've gone on plant medicine journeys and all kinds of crazy and I, me too yeah. i mean i'm in the same boat yeah. but what kind of journeys have you gone through to, to really work through a lot of that yeah well what really ended up being the journey that was the transformational journey was understanding that i treat lovers and children better than i treat myself and to start to apply the way I deal with a lover to myself every second of every day so that I'm never caught in a situation. But it started with me first realizing that I didn't feel good, giving myself permission to even admit that I was in this fancy life that seemed from the outside aspirational and I really felt like shit. Mm. And just the permission to say that without guilt and feeling stupid was a whole maybe a year. Right, because there's so I mean there's so much guilt and and stuff and that people are starving and homeless and here I'm like <laughs> I'm married to an international superstar and my life should suck but I did because I was I really wasn't in my truth none mm -hmm. of that was the truth of me right mm -hmm. like how I was living or anything so I first started with this breathwork retreat with this incredible woman named Jean Viev and what I learned in there was that I I understand pain and I understand sacrifice. But I actually have only done the porn dance and I never allowed myself to be fully expressed in my own pleasure. It was always for something because remember, I wanted to be wanted. I'm a, a recovering fear of rejectionite, people pleasing chameleon, Captain <laughs> Save a Ho, to quote E40. And um, I really had to look at that first. Like, where is all this shame and judgment and things coming from? Mm. That was really the first thing. 
And then when I realized that I was not allowing myself to feel pleasure, pain I got. And people were in these meditations, they were crying, they were having all these moments. I was feeling nothing. Mm. And then on the third day of this retreat, Jean VF came and whispered in my ear and she was like, let go. And when I let go in the middle of the breath work, I had a full body orgasm for an hour. I don't know how long it was. It felt like a hundred years. It was, and you know, at that time I was a person who likes privacy. I don't like to share my business. So this was so embarrassing. Like I felt so embarrassed. I couldn't control it. I couldn't stop it. Wow. The whole, everyone started leaving. The, the That part of the workshop was over. I was still in this experience. All the assistants were around me and it went from full body orgasm to tears. Like this guttural, like, and I haven't Whoa. cried and cried in a long time. I hadn't felt any of that. And that's when I realized it. And that actually led me to the plant ceremonies because mm. I said, okay, I now know what I'm dealing with. I now know what I have to access. It's pleasure. It's not, it's not like past anger. I'd already done so much work. I'd been on an AA for years and Al-Anon and therapy and all these other things prior. So I'd done a lot of work with my parents and, but it was the permission to be grace to mm. be the embodiment of my name is grace and, and the mystery and the surprise of what really magic really is chaos and all that yeah. to allow myself to be out of control, to experience it. But it was the work of the second to second back to those joy snacks of learning to, you know, the word responsibility means the ability to respond. Mm. We in this country means it means you work really hard and do things. No, yeah. it just means that you have the ability to respond and the ability to respond means that you also take into consideration other people. So it's not like you respond and it hurts other people. You're, you're, you're planting more karmic seeds in your responses. So the ability to respond means that if you say something now that I feel in my body that doesn't feel good, A, I honor that and speak to it without worry about consequence because that's my truth and I don't want that to live within me. The mm. body keeps the score right or Louise yeah. Hay. And then it's two, understanding how to say it to you in a way where you're going to receive it at your highest Mm-hmm. And then what are we going to take from there? And that has now become my second to second life practice. And that's the most important. Yeah. You know, it's like this morning when all this happened with Amir, I was so mad. I was so mad that like, I, I have a routine in the morning. It's important to me, my meditation and all these things and all, they were all disrupted. And I could see the old Grace. I could watch her. <laughs> I didn't want to say anything to him. I was just mad. I just wanted to be passive aggressive. Then I started deciding I was going to move out. I actually planned a whole trip. Like I had a whole, <laughs> and then I had to like bring it back around. Oh, right. You know what? Often maybe something happened and I'll have a curveball for him. And I know he didn't mean it. And so now it means that we'd have to make some changes in our reality, but not go. And the normal person goes so far because we have all these stories about not telling the truth and that confrontation is dangerous yeah. and that fear is scary. We have all these stories that around this religion and, and, you know, and also, you know, people come to this country, either as an immigrant or African safe descent, assimilation is life or death. Mm-hmm. So you have all of that you're carrying into us as today. And then, so we have to, we have to erase all that shit. Yeah. And that's really hard. So you can't, it's like uh, preparing for an SAT the day before. So you take the whole year to, t- to practice like a yoga practice or a meditation practice. It's practicing how to live in grace. Yeah. Which means every second you're choosing grace. So that means if someone cuts you off in your car, you don't scream out the window, go fuck yourself, and you give them the finger. You have to get into that state of grace. Yeah. And have empathy for this person's having a shared difficult experience. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's been the most important to me. And that's why I went to Joy Strategy, because it's a strategy to live that way. Yeah. Every second. 
Yeah. You know, it's like this morning, all this chaos is happening. I could have called and canceled, but I don't want any more karmic seeds around disappointment because I've now worked so hard that my yeses are so sacred. Mm-hmm. I don't give any willy nilly yeses anymore that I really want to say no and I find myself in situations. Right. Or I really don't want to talk to you about this, but I'm talking inside my head and I'm never revealing my truth. These, these things seem small, but those little sticky parts mm-hmm. are everything. If we can manage to relearn those two, everything changes. Everything. Yeah. Because that's it right there. It's in, those, it's in the living and in the connecting that we actually learn to ascend. Yeah. Yeah, it's so wild. I mean, to and to be able to shed these old ways of living and and to be able to create awareness, all these little, it's all awarenesses, right? All these little moments of like, oh, flipping the bird at the guy in, in the car. I mean, it's so much awareness and joy snacks <laughs> to bring in the joy snack That's right. in that moment. Because your right. first subconscious body reaction is like, ah! And I get that. I still feel it right. a lot. And I'm like, wait, what am I doing? That's right. Does it even matter? It doesn't even matter. But <laughs> no. see, that's it. It's like, we can't get rid of that stuff, right? It's like, if you walk in the street, we don't want to be judgmental people, but we need judgment. If I step my foot in the street and the car is coming, I have to discern how far away is the car. Can I judge that the car is far enough that I can cross safely? Mm-hmm. So again, in this country with these extremes, right or wrong or black and white, it's more like it's slinking through all every second. Yeah. Like how do how does this apply to me in this moment? How do I feel in this second? What's going to happen? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. And and this is kind of interesting because I've been developing this process. I think I told you called identity alchemy. Mm-hmm. And it's the three-step process of deconstruction, curation and becoming. Mm-hmm. And we're constantly doing this That's right. our whole lives. Mm-hmm. You know, this is more pertaining to personal branding and creating assets around who you are to so create congruency within That's that. Right. But I think the real this is like an everyday process. Mm-hmm. Of inner alchemy. That's right. And uh, how, like, how many? I would say, like, how many identities do you think you've been through throughout your life? And what has it taken to shed each last one? Because a lot of it is like letting go of the previous identity, so that you can step into a new and and brighter one. A thousand percent. I I think too something about that. I will talk about my personal identities in a second. But if you think about, we used to live to what forty, yeah. right? And that was like you're doing it if you live to forty. You're right. healthy. So it makes sense that you only have one life, one career cycle, one relationship cycle, because you, by the time you're in your career, you're going to be dead soon and you just became an adult, mm-hmm. right? Maybe in those days you were adult at 13, so maybe you have two. Now, if we're living to 100, we have like 10 life cycles, right? So for us to decide that we have to have one job and live in one body and be one person, that makes no sense. Yeah. We change our clothes every day. The seasons change every day. We eat different <laughs> things. So taking this idea that that's somehow wrong or eccentric out of the way and say, right, 20 years on this, I'm going to live another 30 years. Am I going to still want that? Am I going to? So I've, I've, I feel like I lived hundreds of these because yeah. I also had to survive. My mother moved, we moved like every year. We didn't have a lot of money. I went to six elementary schools, one middle school and four high schools and still didn't finish after 10th grade. So this is a lot. And so it's, yeah. I'm always meeting new people and, and remember I wanted to be wanted. So I'm like, that's a whole job every single time. Mm-hmm. So how did, I think I just, I didn't, I can't get rid of them. Just like I said, when I was upset with the mirror, I could see her. I could see old relationship Grace doing her whole cycle. Mm-hmm. And instead of penalizing it and being upset, I was like, oh, right, there she is. I'm not that person anymore. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, I'm not the person I was at 10. I'm, like, you can't go to kindergarten and try to get into Oxford. You've missed a whole bunch of education and information. So those people are important. I, I wouldn't be this person if I hadn't gone through all those graces. Mm-hmm. But now I can see and not penalize her, but see what, oh, that version of me, the way she responds and reacts doesn't work for the version of me now. Mm-hmm. And so I, that I think is a nicer, kinder way to look at that. Yeah. You can't let them go and erase them and get rid of them, but we can understand. I don't necessarily need algebra, right? But I'm happy that I had it. So yeah. I went through that experience. You know, would I choose to have been married three times again? No, but I learned so much from those experiences. Mm-hmm. I, I grew so much and had such an experience of not just my, my own love of self, but learning other people and learning yeah. how to respect and honor other people in all their ickinesses. Yeah. So, yeah, letting go of the behaviors, but not letting go of of the the education, I think is really the point. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's almost like each identity builds upon the next. That's right. If you're willing to look at the last one and learn from it. If you're willing to look at the last one and work through it, a thousand percent. And that's where it gets scary because when I was um, nine, I think, my mother put me in some after school program at a school I wasn't even at because she couldn't afford. I mean, it was probably the best she could do. And I didn't know anyone, and I had to meet everyone again. And these kids were so different. And I remember this one kid was like, I'll dare you to pee in the schoolyard. And I was like, I'll do that. And then I got in trouble. And it literally was the first thing that came up when I did therapy in my 30s. (laughs) So it's this moment. It's not that the peeing is the part. It's all the places where we sell ourselves out for others. Yeah. Yeah. It's not being true to ourselves. But but really see it that way. We sell ourselves out. Mm. It's not being true to ourselves. It's even shitting on ourselves for others. Mm. Like you and I are saying, we don't really drink that much, right? We're not drinkers in that way. But if six of your friends came to town they haven't seen in a long time and they all went out drinking, you'd kind of feel a weird responsibility to have a drink as well. Yeah. So it's it's those are the moments I think are much more powerful than letting go of the past nicks and graces versus more of that like, the grace today, the Nick today operates in this way. And I don't have to conform or shit on myself or sell myself out to be in the truth of that person. Right, right. Yeah, that's a lot of work too. It's not. It's a story that's a lot of work because immediately it goes back to our heart. And as soon, when I really got to the other side of this work and I got to the the, the main firewall is caring what people think. Yeah, yeah. So there's no work. If you just erase the caring people think, it's just fun. It wasn't a lot of work to put your clothes on today. Right, right. It wasn't a lot of work to drink this beverage because there's no story that that's a lot of work. Right. It feels like a lot of work because we don't want to go into our hearts again and True. feel the uncomfortableness of the last time it got broken. But if we don't crack that bitch all the way open, how are we going to receive the full measure of love that's available for us in the multiverse? Right. So if you, if you had a car and you asked me to get in and you didn't open the door, I couldn't get in the car. So the story about our heart being broken is scary and bad and dangerous is part of the system of our society to be scared to spread our wings out. But really, break that heart all the time. Yeah. And then you're, you know you're the Dalai Lama at that point. <laughs> because really, that's the point. It's like yeah. to crack it open so much, to break it into oblivion. It's like that Midnight Gospel episode eight. Did you watch it? Oh, my God. I totally forgot. You got to watch it. that episode. Because there's a really nice thing in that episode where they're talking about like rebirth and connection and love and how much the point of it is the f- every piece of it. 
It's not like this part, the beginning or the honeymoon part or the, I like beginnings. That's always my favorite. Yeah. But it's because there's not really much to do there. Right. You know what I'm saying? It's like, as soon as you are four years in, it's important to continue staying, Nick, and being Grace so that you can still keep it hot. Yeah. It's people don't understand that. Like if, if we fall in love at this space, we fell in love with who we are now. If we try to conform to be what the other person wants, all of a sudden we're no longer ourselves and then everything's going to dissolve. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's really discovering your natural identity versus your adopted identity That's as well. Right. Mm-hmm. And like shedding all the things that everyone told you you should be and like society is should you. Yeah. The shoulds are like a lot. The shoulds is, is a worse word than fuck. Yeah. Because should is like, it's immediately telling you that you're wrong mm-hmm. and you don't have the answer and this is a better way. So like you're immediately back in that trouble person who you built to just not get in trouble. You're not skipping down the street. You're not twirling your arm around, not singing because you want to. Yeah. 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 It's that box. It's that box. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And we put ourselves in that box. Right. We don't put ourselves in the box all by ourselves. Mm -hmm. You know, you think uh, my favorite analogy is if you're born and I'm your mom, I'm nursing you. It's day one. We're looking at each other's eyes. It's a beautiful moment. Did I tell you this analogy before? No. And- we and all the hormones, all the joy and the dopamine and the oxytocins flowing. We're like locked. The third day, I get a disturbing phone call, and I answer it. So I pull my eyes away from you. My energy changes. Someone maybe died. I've been distressed. You are deciding that somehow you have to bring the love back. You're responsible. So maybe you'll start pinching my elbow while I'm nursing you. We mm. think that's cute, but really, you've just learned how to performatively get love. Mm. Now, day five, something else happens. And now I'm going to cry before you nurse me really dramatically because I'm trying to get you present. But we're not so aware that this this child, we don't even realize that this child before seven, that doesn't have any analytical mind. It's all an alpha, beta, theta, whatever the hell right. that is. So we're not aware. And all of a sudden now this little baby has changed. Right. It no longer thinks it just deserves love for no reason. It no longer believes that they're perfect. Yeah. It start, oh, then you throw a, a, a sibling in, and now you're the big kid. You no longer <laughs> get to sleep with mommy and daddy or drink your bottle. Yeah. It's fucked up. Yeah. So it's like all these subtle ways that we start to learn how to perform as this other person. And we don't normally get out of it. That's why we have imposter syndrome, or we feel like we're going to get found out, or we don't want to tell people how we feel because it sounds crazy. Mm-hmm. It's because we haven't practiced being ourselves, and yeah. we don't feel safe in the truth of that. Yeah. It's very true. I I grew up with a lot of that too, not feeling safe to express myself and who I wanted to be outside of the world of Christianity. And that came, like a lot of fear of judgment came from that. That's right. Because that's what Christianity is based on. What do the neighbors think? What are you going to do? How are you going to, even going to church, how you look. There's no such thing as perfect. There's nothing in our body that's perfect. Exactly. There's nothing in the universe. (laughs) We look at mountains and they erode, and they have bumps and rocks. And, but then we look at some with cellulite, and we think that's disgusting. Who said? Yeah. Yeah. So how do you teach a child, a, a newborn, theta, theta baby? <laughs> you get the fuck out of their way. You go back to my point of that. When you're first time you're having a child, only amateurs can apply. Mm. That means that that child is teaching you too. So yeah. instead of being mad that they always want to play, you also have to play. Because it's teaching you how to get back to your joy. Mm. We have all these rules around what we're supposed to be as a parent, but yet we're not actually following the little blueprint that was set up for us. Mm. There's a reason we're supposed to get down on the ground and play with your kids. Yeah, It's not because that we just missed out on playing and we didn't play. It's because it's re-teaching us how to play. 
It's yeah. reopening our hearts. It's getting the, us to understand that, oh, you have a new life coach. It's right there. Yeah. That little baby. Like whenever I'm with my niece, Loa, she's like, literally, it's all about her. And she just feels so good. So I watch her. And then it's the words you use too. It's not like kids come over and you have to share. Why? But it's more, you know what, Nick? Your friend is coming over. You love Kevin. And last time I saw you guys had a hard time with sharing. So why don't you, anything that you really don't want to share, put it away. Things that are sacred for you. So I did with my kids. You don't have to. But everything else you leave on the floor, you have to figure out a system. Mm. One minute on, he gets to play with the whole time. Whatever the system. <laughs> so it's, it's I, boot camping your children for adulthood yeah. actually helps you get back to your truth, back to your Nick as a child, yeah. which is the only true self. It's not inner child. I hate yeah. that word. You are that child. You may have bigger skin, <laughs> but we are still the age we froze in our survival patterns Yeah, forever until we don't. And that's why a lot of spiritual people say, I'm one years old. I'm two months old. Because when they woke up, it was the beginning of a true life. Mm. So I'm like 18 months old. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So would you say like you had a spiritual awakening 18 months ago? I don't want to call it a spiritual awakening. I re-met yeah, myself. Yeah. I got reacquainted with grace. Yeah. And I, I, I started to allow the kindergarten grace and the first grade grace and the grace who peed in the yard and the grace who was divorced two times to be in a, in a book of the old history of grace. It's really all your brain is for. Don't get hurt. Remember that last time? Don't say that thing. So I put all that into that little, you know, lockbox. Yeah. And then I pull them out when I need to because this grace now, I know what this grace needs. This grace needs fun, joy, sleep nutritious food, whatever the, the person needs. Everything <laughs> yes. not in that box goes into the archive. Yeah. Mm. And when I see that, like this morning, that flare up, that archive flared up hard. Yeah. I have to talk. We talk. Grace in the archive and Grace now. What's up, babe? Like a lover. You okay? Yeah. You know what? That's okay. You know what? You, you deserve, you have a right to be mad about that. But you don't have the right to be mad and like leave. Right. You know what I mean? So it's it's really getting back to the connection of, and when you're little, you talk to yourself all the time. Yeah. So it's just finding the age you were when you were free. Were you two? Were you nine? When did you really feel your best? When did you feel that everything you did was amazing? When you still believe that anytime you showed art to your parents that they thought it was amazing? That person. Yeah. Reconnect to that version of yourself. Yeah. Reclimb back in the Ali Bogart says, crawl back into the womb. Mm. And when she told me that, I was like, right, I'm going to rebirth myself. I started day one. That's where the baths came in. I started swaddling myself. Mm. I read myself books. I have ki baby kids' books everywhere, all over the house, <laughs> because I didn't have the childhood I wanted. So I'm doing it now. I love that. I and love but that. that's how I help myself reintegrate all the parts that are really delicious for me to keep from 52 on. Yeah, and yeah. not all these things that I'm toiling in my head and wondering and think and which I went. And as soon as you get rid of that part, you're free. Yeah, I can talk yeah. to anybody about anything anywhere. I've never felt that way before. Mm. I, I don't care. It's not that I don't care about them. I don't care about any reaction that seems opposition to my heart's truth. Mm. I want to learn more things, but there's nothing that anyone can say that's going to erode me anymore. Yeah. Because I'm not holding them as the, the magic wand to all my happiness and joy, which is what the, the religious systems of happiness really present. Yeah. If you, if you, you know, if you get married, then you win the award. If you... Whatever the hell the thing is. Instead of just right here, right now, spending 10 minutes looking at this beautiful piece of art and loving it and feeling so appreciative that I have it, yeah. so grateful 
going back and remembering the whole journey of how I first got it, we're not taught that. We're taught to just move fast, achieve, get things. Yeah. Well, that a child, it's like the, all the ego. That's right. And like we're always constantly trying to feed the ego and look for things that feed the ego until we realize like we are not that. <laughs> and like That's being right. able to shed that and jump into the child self. Mm-hmm. That's right. A thousand percent. And it's really easy when you're not worried about other people's thoughts about it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. It's easy. It's super easy. Yeah. Just that every time the thoughts come in, you'll talk to them. Right. Whoa, wow, Nick, you spent four hours reading that book today. That's so lazy. Is it? Today, my soul feels like it needs to rest and restore. And tomorrow, I'll be more productive. You know what I'm saying? It's like yeah. talking to yourself all day, every day as the truth of yourself, what you really need as your joy goalie, being the chief <laughs> energy officer with the joy snacks. Yes. And, that, and everything else doesn't go in there. If I made you a sandwich and there was like dirt on the side, if I put it in the sandwich, you want to eat the sandwich. Right. But if you took it out, it's a delicious sandwich. That's the truth of us. We're amazing. Perfect in the, all our flaws. Mm-hmm. If we can just decide that that's true. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the process. That's the identity alchemy process of like shedding the old, yeah. the old version, put it in the archive. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like starting anew. Yeah, writing a new story. But living in the child, I think that's, that keeps you young and youthful. And- totally. And feeling good. Feeling, yeah. Yeah. And that's our whole goal, right? Is to just feel good. Yeah. Like that's at the end of the moment, that's yeah. all that matters it's is so true. feeling good. Yeah. <laughs> and and asking what feeling good really is. That was part of my process too, because I'd worked so hard to be a people pleaser and chameleon. I never practiced what I felt was good. Yeah. I knew what you liked and what everybody else liked. And I would make sure that, that was always there and things were fun and things were incredible and everyone had a great time. And But I, I couldn't, you couldn't, when we were in Costa Rica... I couldn't tell you what I like. Mm. I'd never practiced me. Never. Yeah. Yeah, it takes discipline and to like sit down and actually create that self. No, I don't think it does. I think it takes no discipline. I think it just goes back to the one the, the one time you got it right. So right. if you sit and meditate and think about, oh yeah, or feel more importantly, oh yeah, when I was nine, I felt like I owned the world. Yeah. Jump back into that version of Nick. Because then you were on the path. It's like running a marathon. You're running. You know it's in front of you. But for like six miles, you might not see any signs, people. There's no water. There's no mylar blankets. Yeah. But you just have to know that that's the right way. And then eventually, you'll see all that. So that's the, so that when we, when we have that moment where we're like, oh, I loved that version of Nick, you were on the path. Yeah. And somehow you got off the path. And you're just on the side of the river, you know, in Midnight Gospel, the side of your canoe is like with all the wasps and the weasels and the bees, and <laughs> you're just kind of mired in that. Yeah. But if we get back there, we have a blueprint already. You already built it yeah. many lifetimes ago. So in that moment, when you're feeling that joy and that freedom, that's it. Jump back in. Yeah. Yeah. And make be cognizant of it. Be aware of it. Become aware of what makes you happy and what joy, what make, gives you joy. Yeah, that's the practice. And do more of that. Do more of that. Exactly. <laughs> well, it goes back to what you were saying. Like we are all creators. That's right. We all can create. Mm-hmm. We all have whatever your creation is. Maybe it's a business. Maybe it's art. Maybe it's relationships. Whatever, whatever that looks that's like. Right. You know, that's right. it's it's the conscious intention of creating. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the space to get into. Agreed. And Agreed. and choosing creating joy snacks for yourself. <laughs> Right. Whatever that may be. I love that term. It's so good. I know. I made it up. So I was on their, their podcast laughing and they thought it was so funny. I think they added it now to their thing. She's amazing. She's, she's all about 
Annie, hmm. I met years ago when I was doing this work, and she does all these things where she creates that metaphysical vision of yourself. Hmm. So you can release all the consciousnesses that are creating dis-ease in your body. It's mm-hmm. amazing. She's amazing. Oh, I'll send you her out. information. Yeah. She's incredible. And I did a lot of work with her because I, of course, because sexuality was such a weird thing, all of my illnesses and her surgeries all were centered around my reproductive organs. Mm. So I did a lot of work with her to release all the shame and the pain and the fear and stuff around that. Wow. Wow. Yeah. It was profound, profound work with her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a lot, a lot to release in the body. Yeah. That, uh, that book blew my mind. Well, I, when I was 16, I read this book by Louise L. Hay called You Can Heal Your Life. Mm. And she's the first person who introduced the concept of that issues create dis-ease in the body that make problems. Yeah. And then a few months ago, I read The Body Keeps a Score, mm. which is a, a modern version of that. Yeah. And, and it's so true. You know, even like this morning, I smashed my finger getting ready on my left side. So it's my past. And it was 10 minutes after I'd created that version where I was like moving and I was, you see, and that's my pointer finger. <laughs> and I smashed it under Oof. my computer this morning. So now that I understand things, I'm like, oh, right. You're living in your past at this moment. You're, you're freaking out about something that's really not a real thing right now. And you're flaring it up bigger because in the past, that would have been a really disrespectful, you know, the last one. It was always that every day was no regard for like what I needed or what I was doing. And this is not how he thinks, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, he wasn't raised to think that way. You know, he's been famous since he was little. So it's not even like he's trying to be a jerk in that way. It's just right. that he's been raised all about him. But this morning, I flared it up bigger than just this morning's situation. And that's why I smashed my, my left finger. Yeah. And so I think that's really what I'm saying. It's, it's, it's using all of it. Yeah. I use it all. Oh, okay. I'm in pain. Why am I in pain? Right. Oh, right. Okay. This means that I'm not looking at the archive. I've actually jumped back into that girl. Yeah. And she doesn't have a place here because she's going to make havoc because this situation doesn't even call for all that. Very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That stuff's so interesting. I remember when I broke my leg when I was, when I was dating Stacy. That's all. Oh, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was so interesting. It was the left. It was the left side. Mm-hmm. And I had, I had gone, I was, I had like, uh, went to this. I was hanging out with a friend of mine down in San Diego a couple months later, uh-huh. telling him the whole story about yeah, what yeah. happened. I got hit by the taxi. That's right. got hit, like hit, and he was like, "Wait, where was the where was the injury?" And he's like, "Let me have, know if this resonates." He like looks up something on Google or whatever, and he's like, "It was below the knee, above the above the ankle on the left side." He's like, "This signifies an imbalance in a relationship," and I was like. My mind was blown. That's right. Because that was exactly what was going through my head when I was on the bike. I was just so frustrated. And I was like, and that's what happened. That's and right. I literally got hit right there. Right. Because we are literally on our a journey with guides and teams and like we're not alone here. You know, there's so many we have we have interdimensional teams, yeah. if you believe in the Kashuk records. Absolutely. And so they're gonna get our attention whatever way. That's why I keep arguing and debating your it's hard. Because when we get on our path and we're tapped in, it's right there. Teachers and information and ideas and thoughts, they're coming at us always to help us figure things out. Yeah. And they just get louder when we don't listen. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess what I mean, meant by hard is like some of that stuff is so lodged in the subconscious body that totally. the, the, to, to shift that, uh, that initial reaction in the moment I've found it to be, I, I speak for myself, I found it to be difficult to like really oh, constantly always keep reshifting in that moment. Yeah. But when the moments come up, I'm saying. That's right. But that's why I, I, I agree with you. It was hard for me too when I kept trying to reshift and I was looking at it that way. I'm saying to look at it 
from a different way and take the heart out, which is that your job is to just feel good yeah, all the time. So that's not hard. Yeah. So this, if you know, like, oh, I'm not feeling good right now. I'm not having fun. Oh, okay. I'm an old story. Yeah. And using it as your guidepost. That's why I say not hard. Just because it becomes the dialogue. Yeah. Versus it like having to be a detective. Yeah. And when you're a detective, it's hard. But when you're a detective and it's hard, it's because you really haven't accessed your heart yet. Yeah. Because when you jump in there, it tells you yeah. all day every day. You know, you get in a car and it has a GPS. Mm. You don't say like, I'm not turning left. Fuck you. You got me You got me lost before. But we have a GPS. Yeah. We know when we're walking down the street, I feel like I should go left, even though it's right. If you start to listen to that and go left, even though it says right, magic happens. Yeah. Yeah. And so if you can just take the joy and the pleasure as your only teacher, it's the thing you have to focus on only. It'll reveal everything else. Yeah. And it's not hard. Yeah. Well, yeah, joy snack number one. Joy snack number one, exactly. Stop. <laughs> Collaborate and listen. Yeah, and, and when you do that, it's because you wouldn't date a Stacey now. No. I wouldn't date a you are now. No. Because we know ourselves differently. Yeah. And because we we protecting our heart by not being in that situation. Yeah. So it doesn't feel hard. Right. Exactly. Same thing. Yeah, and that was like the relationship that I needed to be where I'm at today. A thousand percent. And I'm totally 100% grateful for it. Yeah. Yeah, you're. I mean, not having seen you in a long time, and then seeing you in that, and seeing you right after, then you were in another relationship that felt equally bizarre, and then seeing you, I saw you a few weeks ago, totally different, energetically, like light, lifted, your eyes are glowy, yeah, and and so that, just knowing that this is how you feel when you're great, it means you won't ever do that again, mm -hmm. because you'll meet someone and you immediately don't feel that, and you're like, oh yeah, no. Yeah, the internal barometer start you like start to understand that more. Yeah, but we need to go through those things oh, yeah. to like to learn and to <laughs> however many it takes to, to listen to the cosmic bricks. A thousand percent. I oh, and I keep saying a thousand percent over and over. I read this book last week called um, "The Sacred Yes" by this black woman Ooh. theologist. I'll send you the book. She breaks it down so interesting, and she says you have to feel, deal, and then heal. Hmm. And I was like, oh, I love that. She's right. Because I always said feel it to heal it, but she's right. You got to feel it. Then you got to deal with it mm -hmm. to heal it. Yeah. But you got to read this book. It's good. Oh, I like it's that. Short. It's not long. I'll send it to you. Yeah. Really good. But yeah. And you know what's nice? I'm loving that during this pandemic the last year, there was clearly a universal upgrade because so many people that I know that didn't even have language around any of this are starting to really have language. So yeah. that means somebody's teams, everyone got impacted with something. You know, which is really nice because I feel yeah. like a little bit more of a shorthand around this language than I had felt before. Yeah. With people who weren't, who thought this was woo-woo. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think it's the, the blessing and the curse of social media, right? Like there's the information of higher levels of consciousness or whatever you want to call it or is getting out there and healing and, you know, it's casting a bigger net. You know, but let me tell you something about social media. I'm glad you brought this up because I did an interview the day and they're penalizing it. And it's the same as what we're talking about. Like my social media is never a problem because I don't follow any celebrities. I don't follow anybody who's, everyone I follow is a really good friend that's doing cool shit I like, art or aspirational things. So yeah. when I go to Instagram, it's exciting. Yeah. And I work hard not to go over that scary cesspool of a main page when you have to search for someone where you're in the, the fray. And so I, the reason I bring this up is that I hear this a lot, like, oh, it's awful social media. Then why do we choose that? 
Yeah. Why do we pick those things to look at that make us sad? That's really the point of all of this. If your heart and your social media platform, your, who you live with, where you live, if all these things are making you unhappy, you can change. Yeah. Even if you can't move out of your house, you can still change. There's boundaries. You can create dynamics. There's hours. You can take a walk every morning at a certain time and avoid it, whatever. There are so many ways that we just were never taught that we have choices around these things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we have a choice with all of this. Even Amiris, I was talking about cancel culture. He doesn't like cancel culture. But he's on Twitter laughing about other things they're doing. So he's supporting cancel culture. Yeah. And that's why I tried to explain to him yesterday. I said, right, but if you don't want to be canceled, which I'm not cancelable because I'll just keep coming back and talk about it. Right. I mean, you'll see me, my friend. Uh, my parents will still talk to me. Like, what do I care? Yeah. I don't want people saying terrible shit about me, but also I'm not going to allow that to be the the driver of my movements in life. Mm-hmm. And that's what I mean. What's the thing about all these things? Social media is a problem. This is a problem. Nothing's a problem if you curate your world. Yeah, exactly. Curating your world, such a big, you've done such an amazing job at curating your world. Thank you. I mean, your your taste in art, and I've always just admired your taste in art Thank and you. music and just everything. I mean, just being in your space is such a, it's so enriching. And Thank I mean, you. being around you is so enriching and so and inspiring and joyful. Thank you. My yeah. pleasure. Yeah, yeah. It's so fun to like always connect and hang out and Thank you. and learn and exchange ideas. Thank you. And and I love that you brought that up because that's a perfect example. I was raised by a single mom. We lived in a one bedroom often. I always had the bedroom. She had the living room, which was very kind of her, but she had to walk through my bedroom. And so feeling out of control in my life, and my mother's a hoarder. I always worked, I was like eight years old, rearranging my bedroom, finding things. And so instead of that being like a scarred thing from my past, I appreciate that. And I love that it came from that version of her. Mm-hmm. Because that difficult time birthed this concept of what I love to look at and how I feel with things around me and how I want experience to be, to feel for other people coming into it. Yeah. And and the reason I said that is because we do that too. Like when you said, we, we try to get rid of things from our past completely and not take the little morsels out of those that really feel good. And then the flip side of it was last week, I freaked out one day. I was feeling so like tense and stressed out. And I was like, oh, the house isn't ready. The apartment is too small. I had a, a a whole day of interviews and I thought, oh yeah, okay. I don't need to take all of it. I can take the pieces that work for me and not go crazy. Because then all of a sudden I went into, oh no, I don't like transition. It reminds me of being a child. I felt unsafe and unsettled. That story. Mm. Because it was much more convenient for me to go into that fear mode of that story in that moment. And so I had to take the time. And, no. and so I did the thing to get present. I looked at six things in the room. I appreciated them. I remembered why I loved them. I pulled one color out and that's got mm. really present with those things. So I love that you brought up an example that is born of a difficult time and birthed into something that really brings me pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's true alchemy, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So we got to we gotta go through that. the fire. It's true alchemy. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't, what I don't think people realize that that's the fire. And so they try to get rid of everything from the past. Yeah. And then that's, that's where we're back to that rainbow. It's like, then you're out of balance. Yeah. So you had to curate what was working. Yeah. Curate the the golden nuggets. The golden nuggets. I love it. It's true. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I acknowledge you for the joy that you are in the world. Thank you. And all the the positive 
and high energy that you bring to people. And, and I truly appreciate that. Thank you. And I want to do your pick your poison party now that everything, now that everything is not as crazy. So yeah. you tell me, let's pick a date again. Yeah. I'd love to do, do that. Let's do it. Yeah. Well, where can people find you on the, the interwebs yes. and connect or work with you or whatever? I'm finishing a book right now. So I, Clients are are stopped for this moment just because mm-hmm. I'm in the beginning of that crazy Which stage. Which is exciting. It's so exciting. But I have a, a website called Play W Grace, Play with Grace, with just a W, mm. and on Instagram at Grace Harry. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. This is fun. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm like, oh, a thousand more things to talk about. We'll keep doing it. I know. It. Let's do a part two because like, I know I feel like there's like, ah, we have so much to talk about. Same. But let's definitely okay. do a part two. All right. Well, I love you and I appreciate it. I love this. you too. Thank you guys so much for tuning into today's episode of the Onkin Radio Podcast with Grace Harry. I'm your host, Nick Onkin. And if you enjoyed today's episode, I would love it if you could help us out by leaving us a good review over on the Apple Podcast, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And you know what time it is? It's time to go out and create your life by creating every small moment. And we'll see you next time. 